Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom, shakalaka. What is up, everybody? Welcome to 48 Minutes Team Preview Season. It is time for us to go ring the Liberty Bell, run the Rocky Steps, and trust the process. It is Sixers time, everyone. Tim Daniel here, excited for the show with my good friend, as always, my pod partner, my partner in crime, my guy, my go-to guy, the Dwayne Wade to my LeBron James, or in this case, the Ben Simmons to my Joel Embiid, Sean Mackey. How are you? I would rather be Ben Simmons than, than Dwayne Wade. Okay. Okay. So, so I just wanted to put that out there. Okay. And I, and I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Because I'm Joel Embiid in this scenario. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Yes. Yes, ex- ex- exactly. And joining us to, for the Sixers preview, which we didn't have a uh, Sixers preview last year, but we do round about and get one here for year three. Uh, you can check him out on Liberty Ballers. It looks like if you look at his Twitter profile, he's a little all over the place, including running uh, some Gonzaga stuff over there in the Washington area. You can check him out on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF. Mr. Jackson Frank from Liberty Ballers in the Gonzaga Bulletin and B-Ball Breakdown. Jackson, you are like that Johnny Cash song. You have been everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, I've been a lot of a lot of different uh, places in terms of my MBA writing and journalism journalistic writing uh over the last year and a half or so um i've definitely been been kind of far and wide yes you have so tell us a little bit about some of the places you write you know what you do if you want to talk about how you became uh working with the sixers if you're you know if you're a diehard sixers fan how that started by all means yeah um so my 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 kind of real introduction into into writing itself um i joined my school newspaper the Gonzaga bulletin uh, January of 2017, um, and that's when I really started doing doing journalistic and blogging writing. And then I I ended my school year, and I realized I really liked writing. I wanted to kind of continue my craft over the summer, and so I was like, "Well, I like the NBA. That's, that's I think I'm pretty well versed in that in that sport in that league." And so I tried to find some some blog openings, and I I stumbled upon FanSide in their their network of, of sites and uh, their their hiring guy gave me a few options of teams and I said the Sixers really interested me and so I, I started writing for Sixers Sense in uh, June of 2017. Uh, I wrote for them for about three or four months and then school picked back up and I kind of had to put it on hiatus but during that time I, I they were just became a really intriguing team to me and so I, I kind of vowed to make sure I followed them pretty in depth uh, for last season and then I followed them a lot did talked about them a little bit on Twitter every now and then and um and I was approached by the managing editor of Liberty Ballers this May, asked if I wanted to write uh, for them. We'd had a little bit of history on, on Twitter, talking about some things, and that's how it got started there. And I, I would say I'm definitely a fan of the Sixers. I try to be pretty pretty balanced with, with my takes and opinions. Obviously, it's, that's tough to do uh, in some, some degree, but um, I don't know if I call myself a diehard. I can't say I, I suffered through all, all the trials of the process, <laughs> so um, I definitely kind of I don't think I'm a bandwagon. I picked it up after they won 26 games or something, so I don't. I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm there. But I, I definitely think I'm a little spoiled in the sense that the first season I really, really closely watched more than 10 or 12 games of their 
10, 10 or 12 games a season was, was the year they won 52. So um, I think now I'm, I'm pretty well, well, uh, intox- in, uh, indoctrinated, doctorated. Oh God, I'm going to butcher that word anyways. Um, indoctrinated. There we go. Um, with, with the team and kind of all they, all they can do and the dynamics there. So um, it's been about 15 months of really following them pretty closely. So you would say that for you, the process of being a Sixers fan is completed? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd say I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely a label as kind of a guy, a member of Sixers Twitter um, nowadays. I've had, I think, I think this is probably my, my second or third appearance this, not this month, but over the summer about t- talking about the Sixers on, on some pods. So I'd say I'm definitely a figurehead for the for Sixers Twitter in some sense there. See, Sean, we need to get into Bulls Twitter somehow. I guess if that's if that's what we're gonna ride or die with, we need to like reach make make our name make our names in Bulls Twitter. You know, I I like talking about all the teams. Though. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it makes it and, you fun. know. I mean, that that's 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 what we do though. We don't just we don't just you know ride on 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 the Bulls bandwagon. Yeah, because we'd be like, very miserable if we did. We, yeah, we would. <laughs> yeah, this this way we're not miserable. We're enjoying everything and. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are, are a hell of a team to enjoy right now, am I right? Yeah, for sure. I, I got I got spoiled a little bit with uh, coming onto the team, but they're they're super fun. they're they're a really fun team to write about and just watch and, and talk about. So let's start there. Let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, Jackson. So obviously, you know, a lot of people expect them to take a step forward this year, maybe make the playoffs. Um, but obviously, it was much more than that. Post All Star break, they were on fire. They obviously end the year with a big win streak. Uh, Joel Embiid looks as good as advertised. Ben Simmons looks as good as advertised with everything he did. He wins Rookie of the Year. Um, you get a lot of contribu- contributions from guys like Darius Saric. Ersan Ilyasova comes over. Uh, JJ Redick was big for the team as a good veteran guy who could sp- uh, hit some spot up shots. And then Brett Brown continues to show that he is the best coach for this team. And then the offseason comes, and, you know, Brian Colangelo decides to uh, have a few accounts that his wife is responsible for. So, <laughs> like... That that was quite the saga when that, that whole thing unfolded. That was that was pretty wild time for... We were recording a show, actually, when the news started coming out, little by little. And we're, like, on the air, talking about it, discovering more and more as it's coming out. So, it was yeah, awesome. Somebody dropped the the link to the Ringer article in, in some group chat I was a member of, and I was like, "Oh, I'll, I'll get to that in a bit." And I was just scrolling through Twitter, and everybody was talking about. It. I was like, "Okay, I guess I guess now I got to stop what I'm doing and read this this 10 minute article." So that that thing swept over Twitter for a while, and it was it was cool to see the investigative things people did, all the jokes people made. There was a lot of different uh, facets that uh, facets that kind of made that that whole thing uh, really interesting and intriguing from just an outside perspective. Yeah, I mean, I don't see what the big deal is about having a Twitter account bashing Jolie Loca for. Every NBA fan with a Twitter account bashes Jolie Loca for, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's very many out there that are uh, uh, Jolie Loca for uh, truthers at this point. So, as a Bulls fan, we were rumored to get him for a while. And we were very much like, please don't do that. That That's not, <laughs> that's fine. It's it okay. Like, like a like a Bulls kind of thing to do, though. Yes, like let's sign Julia Locafor, this guy who hasn't done anything. Let's just let's drag him to Chicago. He'll be good there. Well, they he's ca- they kind of got the uh, the power forward version of Julia Locafor in Jabari Parker. But he's playing yeah, small yeah, forward. <laughs> small forward, power forward. No, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. They put, they, the, the problem is, more. the problem is they put him at the wrong position. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's a story for another day. Uh, <laughs> 
So that's one for for uh, November twelfth when the Bulls are are six and twelve, and people are wondering why they're not as good as uh, as on paper. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But I digress. Fair. Yes. So looking at you know everything, obviously the year they had was much more successful than intended. Um, they're a team that's mentioned for LeBron James. They're a team that's mentioned for Paul George. They're a team that's mentioned for Kawhi Leonard. Sixers optimism had to be really high even after that Celtics <laughs> defeat, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think I was genuinely optimistic. I mean, obviously, immediate, immediately after they, they lost Game 5, it was definitely definitely a little bitter and disappointing to have that season come to an end, especially how fun it was. Um, there was definitely a lot of optimism. There was genuine connection between LeBron and, and Ben Simmons and the whole Philadelphia 76 organization. It made sense from a basketball perspective. It made sense from the connection between clutch sports and, and all that jazz. Um, and then, obviously, the Kawhi Leonard connections kind of uh, picked up when he demanded he wanted out of San Antonio. Um, I was never really big on the Paul George one. It made a lot of sense from a basketball perspective, but there wasn't really anything linking those two parties together. The Sixers didn't express a lot of interest in him. Um, not that they didn't want him or anything, but there just wasn't a lot there. So I, I didn't raise expectations for that. Um, and I was like, I was skeptical of the Kawhi thing, truthfully, but... LeBron, I, I thought there was a good chance uh, he, he came, but it seemed as the closer free agency came and, and whatnot, it seemed less likely. Um, obviously, that that came to uh, to prove true. But um, it was definitely a fun time, just just especially from where the Sixers were two years ago or even last summer to think they'd be rumored or connected at all or, or even land a meeting with, with the best player in the world uh, is pretty crazy. So... Here's what I think is funny about that, because if you watch the um, interview he did with Rachel Nichols, LeBron, that is, on his school, he talks about, he's like, well, we looked at, you know, maybe staying in Cleveland. We looked at going to Houston with Chris and James. I looked at how I could fit in with Philly. And I'm like, dude, you made your decision July 1st at 8 o'clock. At what moment (laughs) did you actually sit down and think about those teams? Yeah, I mean, I think think LeBron is such such a guy where all his moves are kind of premeditated yeah um off the court at least basketball wise he's he does a lot of things instinctually and all that and that's what makes him great but i i would imagine that that's something he thought about most of the most of the year um and then especially i mean he had about three weeks to to uh really really nail it down after the the finals or finals um so i mean i i think la had been decided for for a while um but but i genuinely think he he entertained the thought of, of those other three places, Philly, Houston, and and Cleveland. Um, but but I think I think beyond late June, it was it was decided he was going to be a Laker, um, and it was just figuring out the right time to uh, announce that because you're just not going to get quite as much fanfare and publicity if you do it at 2 a.m. on on uh, July 1st. You know what I mean? So doing it doing it uh, in the evening, uh, kind of crafting the PR narrative behind that makes sense too. But um, I, I don't think any of those three other um, those three other teams were, were really big factors like uh, in his past big uh, free agency decisions like in 2010 and 2014 where he was he was rumored to go to the Bulls he was rumored to stay in Miami and things like that and I I think this was a pretty quick pretty quick decision he let give Philly an offer or a meeting excuse me and uh, just kind of wanted to, just maybe more of a pretty good we want to kind of extend a courtesy offer in a interview but i think he was pretty well decided on, on the lakers like you said getting even a a small interview or you know a you know just to talk with his agent is is huge for philadelphia regardless of the circumstance because i mean like you said that 
meant that he was at least entertaining the idea a little bit and, you know, exploring all of his options. So um, I never really liked LeBron there. I've always been, like, since the beginning of last year, I'm like, man, I just want him to go to L.A. <laughs> and he went to L.A., which is fine because, you know, and I, he's he's going to do well there. He'll figure it out. He's LeBron James. <laughs> but, but Kawhi Leonard, though, was a guy who I actually – would have liked to see land this summer in Philly. How much did you did you entertain the idea of, of Kawhi coming to Philly? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like like I said, I the the price just seems so so high from the Spurs' perspective, and rightfully so. Leonard, when healthy, is a top top four or five guy um, in the league, and that's a conservative estimate. There's cases you can make top two, three, depending on what what exactly you value in a, in a star. Um, but I, I just thought, especially with some of the reports that came out, uh, notably one of the ones by, by Zach Lowe after the trade was finalized to Toronto, that the Sixers and Spurs were just really far apart in, in the offers there. Um, so I, I was, I was, I wasn't pessimistic, but I didn't, I didn't really get my hopes up and envision Kawhi in a, in a Sixers uniform. I didn't run to Photoshop to try and try to make that happen or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but I mean, the fit would have been awesome, like you said. He's a really good. He, he can do a little bit of everything on the offensively and defensively. Obviously, we know we know what his uh, accomplishments are. So I think it would have been an awesome fit, and they would have challenged for for the East uh, with Boston. Um, obviously, because Toronto would be a step down because uh, he wouldn't be there. Um, but I think it would have been really fun. It would have been really a really great fit, and they would have been really, really, really dominant next year. But I think ultimately the the asking price was just was just too much to the point where. Getting him to still in guarantee a title, um, and they, there's just so much upside they have with that current core that's something Toronto didn't have. So I, so I, I just I was I wasn't necessarily leading the charge for from for Kawhi to to Philly in terms of uh, realistic chances. And well, and, and unless the the price wasn't as high as, as what they were asking, because I mean, yeah. the stuff was coming out later that they were actually asking for one or the other, Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, and yeah, and, and there's no and, and, and you can't give up those guys for anything, you know. Especially but, with the the team control you have there, I mean, because they're still on the rookie deals. You, yes, you still have restricted free agent rights, so you're looking for them. You're looking Huge to value. control them through through the mid 2020s, whereas Kawhi is not guaranteed even to 2020. Yeah, so so but you know, if if the deal was something like Markel Fultz, Dario Saric, uh Robert Covington or something and like a bunch of draft picks, you would have went for that, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm I'm truthfully really high on on Mark Markel Fultz. I know there's a lot of things, there's a lot of uncertainty and I I, I don't know if I don't know if without a guarantee that he would have resigned that you can trade all three of those guys. I think I think two plus plus a picker or two is a little more realistic, but but Sarge and Covington are really good basketball players. Um, that's part of what makes the Sixers so good is because they have that, such a dominant starting lineup. Uh, I would have a tough time parting with all three of those guys to get to get maybe a one-year rental. I mean, it came out a little later that, that Kawhi is entertaining or was entertaining the idea of re-signing Philly if he went there. Um, and so, but I, I just think that they, unlike unlike Toronto, whose who stars are in their prime and whose stars are maybe a little over the hill. Um, this Sixers team can still get a lot better, even if they didn't sign Kawhi. And so I was hesitant to, or I would be hesitant to have accepted a deal that included all three of those guys plus future picks, um, because there's a case to be made that the core of Fultz, Simmons, and Embiid can can be better in two to three years than this year's team or this next year's team of 
of Simmons, Embiid, Fultz, and then kind of pieces around that. Um, but I understand the idea of, of accepting that trade. Uh, but personally, I just think it's a lot to give up with no guarantee that you, you get that much better beyond the 2018-19 season. Okay, so you said you were high on Markel Fultz. Me too. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think we all should be because in the in the spurts that that he came out and played yesterday, he was really exciting. Like I was like, I want to see more of this guy. So he mysteriously his his, his shoulder gets hurt midway. A couple, was it a couple games into the into the season or was it? I think it was three started? games. I want to say two or three games. Two uh, or three played, games. Play against the Wizards and the maybe the Wizards, the Pistons, and the and the Celtics. Wizards, Celtics, Pistons. I think was the order. Um, okay. I think it was three games, and then he went he went missing for a while. He went missing, so <laughs> he went missing for a long time. So he goes out. Um, then there's there's talk that he's working redoing a shot, or he's lost confidence in his shot. Basically, the 76ers shut him down for the majority of the season, and then randomly just kind of bring him back right towards. That, like, that was the weirdest part of the whole thing. Is you just you get a, you get a tweet from maybe the Sixers or a Sixers beat reporter that Marco Fultz will be active March 26th or March 27th or whatever, and it was. That that was probably the weirdest thing. It was just out of the blue. There was nothing nothing to suggest that that would be the case. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like he, you know, and so what do you think? I mean, there's a lot of mystery that went on with all of that, and then uh, he didn't play in summer league. Tim wrote a piece on our website um, about how he was he was not he was not playing at summer league. He was what was he doing, Tim? Eating cheese fries. He was eating cheese fries. So, so what the what the hell is going on with Markel Fultz? Yeah, you know, I I truthfully am not. I, I didn't have any problem with him not playing summer league. He he's getting his shot right, and it's and clearly Hanlon, the organization didn't think it was where it needed to be by July. Um, you we know he can play. I mean, the kid put up a triple double. Granted, in the last game of the year, um, but he put up. We know the kid can play against NBA competition. I don't think there was a ton of value to see. Because all we want to see is that shot. And if that shot hasn't been fully re- retooled, I don't think there was a lot of value in him playing. Um, but but I, I, I'm just optimistic because, one, Drew Hanlon has proven to be a really great developmental coach from a skill and, and shooting perspective. I mean, Jason Tatum shot 43% from three after work with Hanlon, and he was a pretty average three-point shooter at Duke as a freshman there. Um, so I, I just think it was one of those things where they know he can play. He played well last year in summer league before he sprained his ankle. He played well against NBA competition um, beyond the jump shot. I mean, he had a really great small stint against the Cavs in that that exhilarating game. He he dominated. He didn't dominate, but he put up really good stats against the Bucks. He had some other nice games. His first game back against the, the Nuggets, he saw some nice things as a passer, a defender, a rebounder. Um, and so I just think the the negatives outweighed the positives, especially for a guy who's kind of been can, been rumored or reported to have taken this whole thing really hard mentally. I don't think the upside was was there, especially if the shot wasn't wasn't fully retinkered or tinkered. I guess that's fair. I mean, I'm very, still very high on him as well. I, I was disappointed as a fan that he didn't play because I thought that yeah. with everything yeah, yeah with everything going on, I thought really he should have like released you know maybe I think I was more pissed off because I want to see more of it because when we <laughs> that was the first draft we covered as a show. And I put a lot of stock into Markel Fultz, Sean. If you remember, I called him six four Tracy McGrady. So yeah. I'm uh, yeah. I'm still I'm still not getting still not backing down from that. By the way, I just okay. I'm just I'm, I'm optimistic. That's fair. I wanted to see summer league because I wanted to see how far he's evolved, and I think you have a good point. I still lean on he should have played though. 
Yeah, no, I, I think from from a, from purely a fan perspective, it would have been really fun to see him play and see what he could have done uh, two two plus months after uh, the season ended. But I think long term, it just it didn't make sense, and that's what I had to look at. I mean, this whole this whole process thing has been a long term vision, and I just True. I think the it just didn't make sense to play. But I, I totally get that. I would have loved to have seen him him play and, and put up twenty points tonight, five rebounds and five assists, and and light it up beyond the arc. Um, but I, did, I, I trust what the, the organization and what Hanlon and, and Fultz himself kind of made a decision there. But, but like like you said, it would have been it would have been really fun to see him, and it would have added more, even more intrigue to this year's summer league, which is already awesome to watch. So let's talk about this year's draft a little bit because Brett Brown pulled the Danny Ainge ruthless move. When we say <laughs> someone, to, when when someone says ruthless move, it's supposed to be Danny Ainge, Jackson. It's not supposed to be Brett Brown. He, he yeah, did him dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. everyone thought they were taking McHale. I was so excited they took McHale, and his mom's all excited because she works for the Sixers, and they have that moment with the Sixers hats. And then I think Sean and I are watching the draft together, and Sean's phone blows up, and it goes, he goes, oh, no. And I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, uh, they traded McHale for Zaire Smith, and I went, what? And it was the most, like, uh. Yeah, um. I mean, I, I think the the handling of it wasn't great. He was mid interview when the, when the trade went down, um, so I can't I, I can't defend that that side of it. And I I truthfully am really high on Mikael Bridges. I I think he he can be more than just a three and D wing. I, I watched enough of his film and enough of him during during the season that I think he's a re- he can attack some closeouts. He can make some plays off of that. Um, so I think he's more than just a spot up three guy. Um, but anyways, and I. I Brett Brown and company were really high on Zara Smith. I personally wasn't quite as high on him as a lot of people were pre-draft. Um, I still have some concerns, uh, but but I can't knock the the team for for getting a guy. They had one B on their draft board and getting an unprotected 2021 first round pick um, attached to that. So I, I understand the idea of it. Obviously the the morals, not the morals, but you know just some of the maybe the ethical side of it was a little little shady in terms of not let I mean making that known. Um, Maybe letting him know about it before he, he does a bunch of interviews with the Sixers hat on and all that, and his mom goes goes wild. Um, but but I understand it. You get you get a really good important asset that you can either use in three years or you can use to land a star or things like that. Um, but yeah, it was definitely definitely a really weird um, half an hour or so when that went down. Um, but I, I mean, Zaire Smith did some really fun things in summer league. Uh, he's he's an He's a really, really good cutter off the ball. Yeah, he um, is for sure. There was too, there was too many times I was watching the game, and I'd be like, "Oh, there's another one where the lack of a good ball handling, you missed Tyler Smith on a dunk, um, backdoor or something." But he's really good. He's a really good on-ball defender. His athleticism, athleticism is just insane. He's probably a top ten, top twenty athlete in the league already in terms of just his frame and his his hops and all that. Um, but there's questions about his, his jump shot, his ball handling. Um, I thought his, the most intriguing thing was he made some really nice passes on the move and in transition in summer league, which was really fun. Something I didn't see a ton of at uh, at Texas Tech, but I think he's got enough upside to the point where he can be a, a pretty important piece. Um, but yeah, like you said, that that whole thing during the draft was really really strange, um, just from a from a fan slash human perspective. Here's the other thing I'm curious about with Zaire Smith. Do the Sixers know that these guys have bad feet when they draft them? Like, do, do, are they aware of this process? Because, not no pun intended, of course. 
What exactly is the Sixers MRI machine look like in their organization, in their system? Is it just like an old like DOS computer that just put their foot on to see like, okay, it's good. Well, I think I think maybe part of the reason they traded Mikhail is they they forgot to do, go through that screen and they they figured out his his foot his feet were good and so they, they learned that that Zaire Smith had bad feet and and so they they pulled the plug there uh, or pulled the trigger there on, on that trade. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it's really weird. A couple of them have been. Just things you can't see. I mean, Ben Simmons landed on Sean Long's foot in in training camp and broke his foot. So that's that wasn't even a pre-draft right. thing. Um, Marco Fultz wasn't injured until August or whatever. So that wasn't a pre-draft thing. Um, and I mean, I don't think Zaire Smith was injured before summer league or anything like that. That that happened in the last week. Um, but there's just some something weird there. Um, we're gonna get a, a tell-all in, in 15 years of the, the training staff and all all the stuff that went on with, with Okafor and Embiid and Simmons and Noel and and now Fultz and, and Smith and it's gonna be one of the wildest stories um, of the year whenever it comes out. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know what to make of it. I, I can't say that I'm I'm on the ground in Philly covering the team day to day like like beat reporters are. Um, so I can't really speak on it a ton there. Um, but I will say that. I think a lot of Sixers fans were a little too optimistic of what, what Zaire was going to do this year. Um, lottery picks or non-lottery picks who can't shoot or or shoot with regularity or their, their shot's still in question and, and can't make a lot of plays off the dribble for themselves or others rarely are impactful guys on teams that are going to contend for a top three seed and then potentially a finals appearance. Um, I think he's going to, I think he can still do a lot long-term. But I, I that that from at least a 2018-19 perspective didn't didn't serve a crushing blow like Simmons getting injured or Fultz getting injured did um, the last couple of years. So I'm still high on him, but I had very moderate expectations of what he was going to bring, um, especially with the Sixers' two best players, Simmons and Embiid, not being like like floor spacers. They're not going. I mean, Embiid shoots some, but he's not going to be a guy that's that's going to knock down 38% of his threes, um, or at least he hasn't been yet. Maybe he can be. Um, but I was I was kind of weary of that fit because um, you can't play them alongside both those guys, and the Sixers are already a little bit short on shooting uh, after Ilya Sobin and Bellinelli or, or elsewhere. Um, but yeah, it was just a just a really uh, weird thing, especially with the foot because that's been the kind of the the uh, the lower body's been the the uh, thorn in the side of the Sixers recently. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I know Sean will probably jump with a couple more questions, but Joel Embiid. Obviously, you know, an unbelievable talent. We're so excited to finally see what he can do. Still think he should win Rookie of the Year. I know they only played 31 games, but I'm standing by that. The fact, oh, yeah. The fact in, like, five years we're going to look at that and go, actually, we did it this week, probably. The fact yeah. we're going to look at the, like, Malcolm Brogdon <laughs> won Rookie of the Year over Joel Embiid. And, and who is that? Who's that again? Right. I don't even know if he's going to start for the Bucks next year. Um, is just amazing to me. So, Embiid, obviously, is a huge talent. We saw you know, a lot from him this year. I uh, still miss some time, but like, you know, again, another freak injury. That was, that was such a fluke thing. I, I, yeah. I know it's, it, it, it still counts as an injury, but in terms of his, his lower leg and knee thing, I, I just can't throw in there. I mean, Agreed. his freaking rookie point guard in his third game back, or whatever runs into his face. Like that's not something <laughs> you're like, Oh, pencil and beat in for, for missing 15 games when he runs into his rookie's fate. You know, it's not like a, a chronic issue that's going to resurface. But here's the thing. What he did it, and he comes back and plays in the playoffs, 
Philly embraced the mask, and it was awesome. There was people wearing it in the crowd. Uh, fanatics had T-shirts. I almost bought one. They called him the Phantom and, of the Process. And he, didn't, and he didn't embrace the mask. He absolutely hated, hated it. it. Yeah, he, he broke it so many times. He'd, he'd get fouled, he'd take it off and shoot free throws. He'd get fouled, he'd take it off. Or he'd, go to, he'd crash to the ground, he'd throw it off. And, like, I think – I can't remember what game it was. I think it was game five, I want to say. He threw it off completely the last minute. He 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 went to, went to the ground on a rebound and threw it into the threw it to the bench and threw it onto the, the end line and, and played without the mask. Um, and he it, but it was funny just the the contrast there. The fans loved it. It looked awesome. The you did the, the black the black mask was totally was totally awesome um, and really sleek. Um, but he absolutely hated it. And it makes sense. I mean, I I've never played with a mask, especially one that you can't see out of. Um, but I thought that was just hilarious how much they embraced it and how much he absolutely despised it. <laughs> So, uh, this summer, there were some cash considerations that were sent <laughs> over to uh, the good people in Denver, Colorado, for uh, Wilson Chandler. So, he is now a Philadelphia 76er. How do you feel about that pickup? What do you think he brings to the squad? Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he's a guy who's, who's kind of been, on, he's been, been a pretty solid player um, in a few different spots, New York and Denver. Maybe those are the only other two teams he's played for. Um, I can't say I've followed uh, Wilson Chandler religiously throughout his career. Um, Who has? He's a guy who's, who's been a he's been a capable shooter for the last couple of years. Shot thirty six percent from three. Um, he'll be a nice backup three slash four for them. Give him some good size. He's a fine defender. Moves his feet pretty well. Uh, has solid length. Um, he's built well. Um, he, he gives him a little more off off the bounce game, off off the dribble diversity. Um, someone like uh, Bellinelli or even Redick doesn't give him. Obviously, those are shooting guards. He's more of a a combo wing forward. Um, he's not he's not as good a shooter as Bellinelli, obviously, and he's not as versatile. He's not a guy who's going to come off around, around a lot of screens and things like that. But I, I think in terms of playoff ceiling, he's not a guy you can target like Bellinelli was in the Celtics series. Um, so I like yeah. him, give him 20 to 23 minutes a night. Um, a good a good veteran presence. I don't know about him personally. Um, I can't say that he's I can't say he's going to be an awesome guy. I can't say he's going to be terrible, but but generally, veterans on a young a young team are aren't a bad thing. Um, I mean, he he's a guy who averaged 15, 15 and a half points, six and a half rebounds two years ago. He's battled some injuries throughout his career. Um, been pretty healthy the last few years. Uh, I guess he actually had surgery in 2015, 16, so scratch that. Um, but he's a guy. The last couple of years has been pretty solid. Um, I think it'll be a nice pickup. I I think in terms of their shooting, I, I wonder how much. He's going to help. They need shooting. Um, that was a huge, pretty important thing that unlocked um, their potential, especially when Embiid went down um, late in the season. But I, I think he's a pretty good pickup. He's only he's only a, a one-year guy, so it's not like they're locked into him beyond this season. So I think it was a low-risk, um, medium-reward um, acquisition. It doesn't move the needle a ton, but I think it's, it's a guy who's going to give you minutes off the bench and be a, a pretty solid rotation guy. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a huge one for them. Um, let's talk a little bit real quick before I know Sean gets into wraps with the last couple of questions. J.J. Reddick comes back, obviously, for a lot less money, but in my opinion, a huge, huge, huge thing for this team. I'm a big J.J. Reddick fan. Um, obviously, it was big for them last year in a lot in stretches. So how big is it for this team as they continue to try to take those steps forward, as they continue to progress, to have not only that veteran who's played in the NBA Finals, who's played for teams that have a lot of pressure on them like the Clippers, but a guy you kind of expect to kind of hit some shots when needed. 
Yeah, um, I I think Simmons is. I don't think he is the third best player on the Philadelphia Seven Sixers, but I think given their roster construction right now with Fultz and Limbo, he is the third most important player in that starting lineup because of the, all the ways he can get looks off as a shooter. Um, he's not just a spot up guy. He can he's gonna run around screens. Um, he's gonna create a lot of gravity as a shooter, um, which is kind of the the buzzword nowadays. Um, but he, he's also a kind of an underrated uh, screener for a guard, and so he he opens up a lot of things when he sets screens for guys because the defense is so keyed in on him and making sure he doesn't spring free for for uh, an open three. Um, so I think what he provides offensively is so crucial to to letting Simmons and MB kind of operate in their own in their own way um, as guys who aren't going to shoot a lot of threes or shoot them with a lot of uh, success. Um, he seems to be a really good locker room guy. Um, really important veteran presence. Um, I, I I agree. I think his such he's just so important as a as a shooter. Um, he can even pass the ball a little bit. Um, took on some some kind of tertiary secondary ball handling responsibilities beyond beyond Simmons last year. And so I think he's a guy who's not not super flashy, but he had a really really good year last year. Um, and he's he got he got kind of bullied defensively in the in the playoffs um, against the, the Celtics, but. Overall, he's not a huge negative. Um, he's a smart defender. He, he moves his feet well. He knows how to play. He's just a little undersized uh, for as a modern two guard. Um, but yeah, Simmons was or not? I keep saying Simmons. Excuse me. Um, I guess I'm just hoping Simmons becomes the shooter Redick is someday. Um, Redick is just such important, such an important piece to what they want to do. Um, they run a lot of triple handoffs between him and Embiid. That was a big, big piece this year, and so um, he was a really important guy to get back if they weren't going to sign another another elite shooter and there's not and JJ Reddick's don't grow on trees in the NBA. So Jackson, we've been asking every single team blogger that's been coming on our show to do the, the season previews. Uh, this question uh, with the 76ers coming in last year, almost, almost they reminded me a lot of the, the young Orlando magic. I know they probably got that comparison a lot, but the nineties Orlando magic young guys who could, really come out and play they 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 gutted it to the to the playoffs uh they had actually a, I, I think a pretty successful playoff series you know obviously for oh, the for, for sure Win, winning a series with the Simmons and Embiid two, two young guys is, is awesome yes yes so with that being said uh with Markel Fultz assumingly coming back adding Wilson Chandler um you know the rest of this team you know having one year under their belt what is your bold prediction for the Philadelphia 76ers this season? That's, that's a good one. Um, I, I, I think my, my bold prediction that goes a little under the radar and extends beyond their, their lottery picks is I think, I think if he's healthy after this, this stress fracture in his back, that Shake Milton, uh, their second-round pick from this past year, or this past summer, um, is going to be a really, really valuable piece off the bench. Um, he, he he's a guy who graded out as a first round talent for a lot of a lot of draft uh, analysts, and uh, he was a guy I had in the first round. Um, I think his length and, and shooting ability and, and ability to handle the ball is going to be so important because they don't have a lot of guys like that. Um, Landry Shamit can shoot the heck out of the ball, but he's not the defensive guy that Milton is, and I think Milton is going to be a really, really fun fun guy once he kind of gets his feet under him. Um, I could be totally wrong there, but I, I really believe 
believe in his talent and the fit and, and what he brings on this this Celtics team. Not, not the Celtics, excuse me. This is the Sixers team. <laughs> you heard it here, Shake Milton, breakout season. <laughs> so, with that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap up this week's player. I mean, this team's pre- uh, previous installment of Forty Eight Minutes in the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. So, Jackson, you are awesome, man. We really appreciated having you on. Um, before we let you go, we like to do a little thing where we give our guests a chance to once again shout out their work and where they can be found in the social media world. So by all means, the floor is yours, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so all my NBA content can be found uh, at B-Ball Breakdown. Um, starting sometime soon, I'll also be covering the Nuggets for uh, B-Ball Index. Um, and then all my Sixers-specific uh, work can be found at Liberty Ballers. And then once the school year starts up again, I'll be doing a lot of uh, – a lot of feature writing and, and things like that for the Gonzaga Bulletin, which is just at Gonzaga Bulletin on Twitter. Um, I don't expect a lot of a lot of people to, to shoot that a follow, but if you're interested in seeing kind of my, more of my, my print journalism rather than blogging side of things, that's where you can find my work. Um, and then if you just want to talk about hoops, I, uh, I'm on Twitter at, at JackFrank underscore JJF. So you mentioned Gonzaga, and before we get out of here, i got to ask you one really important question. Is this the year that Mark Few gets a different facial expression? <laughs> um, I, I I can't I can't say that I'm gonna I can't I couldn't uh, <laughs> couldn't guarantee that he's probably maybe the same same stoic kind of rugged uh, Mark Few. Um, but I will say Mark Few is a a really fun guy to cover because he generally is a really good quote um, for what it's worth. He, he can kind of come off as a curmudgeon, but he's a he's a guy. If you bring if you bring the heat, you bring the bring the good questions, he'll give you. a they give you good answers. Um, but, yeah, I don't think Mark Fee's going to be looking any different on the sidelines from, uh, from a motion. <laughs> Fair enough. Just had to make sure. Well, Jackson, thanks again, man. And uh, we look forward to doing this soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. This was a blast. Absolutely. So this has been 48 Minutes, brought to you by 48MinutesNetwork.com. If you want to check out all of our previous podcasts and team previews, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Alexa, and most importantly, Spotify. You can go to 48MinutesNetwork.com where you can check out all of our articles of the past as well. So on behalf of Sean Mackey, this is Tim Daniel, and it is time to close the process edition of the team previews.